Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Today, we are highlighting the players to avoid in 2019 fantasy football drafts, all the guys with above average potential to bust. So we have a great episode coming up. Here with me is Chris Raybond, a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. And joining us is a very special guest, one of the godfathers of the fantasy industry, Sigmund Bloom, a co-owner of Football Guys and the host of the On the Couch podcast. Sigmund, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great because for a little bit out of the year, everybody gets as obsessed as we are all year. It's fun to share that. Yeah, it is a uh, it's a really fantastic time of the year when uh, more and more attention is being given to the fantasy space. Uh, we just released our uh, Fantasy 101 episode, so it really is that time of the year. Uh, everyone be sure to check out that episode and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Sigmund, let's jump into it. This episode we are focusing on the bust, but uh, I would be remiss not to hear your thoughts on the players that you actually like. Yeah. So uh, who are some of the guys that you have gotten the most of in your drafts this year? Well, I think at quarterback, you have to look for top three, top five ceiling. So that limits my focus to players like Carson Wentz, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. Uh, and you want to see some positive signs. Lamar Jackson, there's a lot of positive buzz about and, and Carson Wentz. I'll even take Patrick Mahomes. Um, I, I think that he could easily outperform what he did last year with the additions they have. Uh, at running back, I'm getting a lot of carry on Johnson, a lot of Devontae Freeman, although sometimes that's mutually exclusive. Nick Chubb, is uh, is really uh, bubbled to the top of that second round running back group. Um, I'm liking Justice Hill and Damian Harris later on in drafts. I was taking a lot of Daryl Henderson, tapping the brakes on that. But you like the unknown upside, the allure of the rookie running backs. Wide receiver is fertile between the fifth and ninth rounds. There's a lot of players with the arrow pointing up. Uh, I, w- I would say Kiki Cutie. He's hurt now, so maybe I'll take him a few rounds later. I still think that he's destined for greatness if he can stay healthy. Guys like Curtis Samuel, Marcus Valdez-Scanling, um, Allen Robinson, um, Dante Pettis, you know, we're, we're uh, tapping the brakes on a little bit. But the point is those players who could be a lot better than the last time we saw them. And then at tight end, there's a lot of levels to tight end this year. I take Travis Kelsey in the first round sometimes. I'll take O.J. Howard in the fifth round sometimes. I'll take Jared Cook in the eighth round. Or I'll wait and I'll snap up guys like Mark Andrews and Dallas Goddard, who's also a little banged up right now. So I think the theme this year is you could really take a team that is your guys, and there aren't as many angles to exploit on, you know, this is a good part of the draft for this position, this is a bad part of the draft for this position, because all the positions seem deep this year. Rayvon, uh, I want to kick it to you. One of the interesting things here that uh, Sig mentioned was uh, the rookie running backs. Uh, and there are a few who have some pretty significant potential this year. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that group of guys. So, you know, I kind of, I wasn't taking Henderson a lot early, but I want some exposure because the more I look into it, I think the Rams really are going to limit Uh, Todd Gurley and one of the things Henderson does well is run out of the shotgun Todd Gurley 2.8 yards per carry out of the shotgun both years with McVay so I think that's one way um, that they can get Henderson involved right off the jump Uh, David Montgomery I was a little bit down on I was just not sure that he was going to kind of lead that backfield but I think the first preseason game was encouraging so uh, I moved him up a little I don't mind him anymore but I still think he's going too high if he's going in the top uh, you know, 24 backs as of now. And Miles Sanders, I think it's going to be tough for him at the at the beginning of the year if you draft him, because if you look at Doug Peterson in Philadelphia every year, he's got uh, Ryan Matthews, uh, Garrett Blunt, Ajay Ajayi, somebody like that. Darren Sproles there getting anywhere from four to four plus touches a game. It just doesn't leave as much 
for a guy like Sanders to really contribute early on, I think he, he's eventually going to have to capitalize on an injury, whether it be to Sproles or to Howard, or he's just going to have to outplay one or both of those guys. And I just don't know if that happens by week one. So he's a guy I think I would look to trade for uh, more so than draft. Sigmund, you mentioned that this feels like a year where you can go get your guys. Do you tend to have a general approach to drafting, like a, a philosophy or a particular mm-hmm. set of strategies that you tend to use? Well, the short answer that I would give to this is I'm shooting to make a team that makes the league not fun for everybody else. I'm trying okay. to create a juggernaut. And you, this is some of this is personal because I know we want to win and we want to maximize investment, return on investment. But also, you color inside the lines in your life, and fantasy is a place where you can let your hair down a little bit. So I'm thinking upside, upside, upside. I'm thinking a credible best-case scenario that will make a player an overachiever. And the farther I get into the draft, the more I stress that. I think that good depth is a residue of good drafting and waiver wire pickups. So roster management. So you don't really need to draft for depth. You draft for best-case scenarios. And I, I like optimism uh, whether it's about the player the situation new coaches upgrades and teammates whatever it is I'm looking for something that's going to be better than the last time we saw it yeah I'm with you there and one of those things that uh, this is anecdotal but makes me feel like I I have a team that is going to ruin the league is when I, I draft someone and everyone else in the room or in the drafting lobby is like damn that's the guy I wanted yeah. So if you get a few of those during your draft, like you walk out of it feeling like uh, you have the team that's going to win. How do you define uh, a bust? Because you mentioned that uh, you're looking for that realistic upside with your picks. How do you think about the negative players? What are what are the criteria you mm-hmm. use in thinking about whether someone is a potential bust enough to the point where you want to steer clear of that player? So I would say a bust is a material underachiever. And when I say a material, what I mean is not just that they underperform expectations, but they underperform expectations in a way that puts a cramp in the way your draft leads into your fantasy football season. And it's a good moment for me to say, uh, quote, one of my colleagues at Football Guys, Matt Waldman, the draft is one leg of the table and lineup decisions and waiver wire moves and trades are the other three legs so we spend a lot of time on the draft. I think it's the most fun part of fantasy football. And it's the time we have months and months to anticipate. The others, we don't give as much attention. But oftentimes, you can win a championship, and you look at your lineup, and maybe two of the players are players that you drafted. So a material underachiever would be a player that you were counting on in some way, and they don't provide what you were counting on. By that definition, I think it's impossible for anybody you draft, say, from the ninth or 10th round on to be a bust. Because already a good part of the range of outcomes is they're not really going to help your team except in bye weeks or emergencies when you have injuries to fill in for. So, you know, if your first round pick isn't giving you a material advantage over your uh, opponent's counterpart, that that's a player that's basically a bust. A lot of people look at David Johnson last year and they point at, well, he was running back nine. When you look at cumulative stats, he was an unmitigated bust. You know, there's, I mean, he, David Johnson in 2018 was a bust because of how far below expectations you were hoping he was going to finish in the top 10 or top 15 and consider that a success during the season. So we have to be careful when we look back. Um, And then players in the, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round, maybe they're not a, a bust if they're not an every week starter, but if they aren't doing enough to, you know, Jordan Howard last year, and I think he was actually more like a second, third round pick. But as you, as you go down the investment, Maybe your expectations are lower, but you still can measure that performance against the expectations. And then at a certain point, like, I, I, again, I'm not going to criticize anybody's 15th round pick. I mean, go for it. Uh, I, I think that there's no such thing as a bust in the second half of your draft. Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, how you should define a bust? I mean, I think Sigmund hit on it for the most part. I just kind of look at a, a player that, the opportunity costs, um, you know, kind of the, the performance, the results didn't out- outweigh that. So, I mean, you could take a, a quarterback in the fifth round and let's say he finishes as like QB eight or, or something like QB six and he's still pretty, has a solid year, but um, it's not spectacular. I kind of look at that as a bust because of where I took that player. So um, it's just really about the opportunity costs. As far as injuries, I don't really consider them 
busts because I don't think you can uh, predict injury to a high level. But if you take a risk on on an injury-prone player or with a known risk too high in the draft, then then yeah. Or or like a holdout. Like if you take A.J. Green in the second round and he doesn't do anything this year, like I'm still calling him a bust. But if if like Devontae Adams randomly just goes down with a torn ACL in week one, I mean – it's not a bust in the sense of that there was anything wrong with the process. Yeah, that, that makes sense. For me and for probably everyone else, Todd Gurley is kind of like the, the clear guy that resonates with this question of uh, drafting a player who might have some sort of uh, injury issue. And we're definitely going to talk more about Gurley. I'd like to transition to quarterback specifically. And Sigmund, this is kind of the interesting thing for me for quarterbacks and thinking about whether a player is or is not a bust. I generally think that uh, you can wait on the quarterback position a long time. And so is it, is it even possible for a, a quarterback to be a bust if you're just waiting to draft a quarterback till 10th round at the earliest? But kind of going along with this, what is the earliest in which you are looking to take a quarterback? This is why, for instance, Kyler Murray. You might have to take Kyler Murray in the seventh or eighth round. You might have to take him, depending on how the quarterbacks come off the board or draft, you might have to take him as the fifth or sixth quarterback off the board uh, if it's a really patient quarterback draft. But because the replacement cost is so cheap, there's a very little cost to him being a bust if the whole Arizona Cliff Kingsbury air raid experiment goes south. So that reduces the pain on the bust. Uh, But that being said, the earliest I would take a quarterback would probably be the third round and maybe the second round if we're talking about performance bonuses like 300-yard, 400-yard performance bonuses or long touchdown bonuses. I'm willing to take Patrick Mahomes in the third round. In the fourth round, I feel like I have to take him. And depending on the scoring system in the second round, and obviously in your Superflex two-quarterback leagues, he's a solid first-round pick, maybe even a mid-first-round pick. And I'll just go on a little Patrick Mahomes rant here because you have the addition of Michael Hardman, who appears to be ahead of the curve. I think a lot of people don't know that he's still pretty new to the wide receiver position, and they're happy with his progress. And you can see his speed. I mean, you can you just think in your mind's eye how are you going to defend Hardman and Hill on the field at the same time and Travis Kelsey and even can say well Sammy Watkins he won't stay on the field fine how can you defend all three of those guys at the same time with Patrick Mahomes out there in his field vision his ability to make off-platform throws and, and improvise in a way that defenses just can't prepare for I don't think you can I think Patrick Mahomes can absolutely exceed what he did last year and people say that's crazy but if you would have said he had what he had last year on this date, what is it, August 13th? If on August 13th, 2018, you said he's going to have you know, 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards, you're insane. That's impossible. So he's already shown us he can do the impossible. So I fully endorse. If someone comes to me and says, in my home league, I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes in the first round. Am I crazy? I think they're not crazy. Mahomes is someone that you are not scared of taking. Uh, out of the quarterbacks who are maybe going uh, in the top uh, 10 rounds, yeah. who are the guys that you think have serious bust potential? Well, Andrew Luck is, you know, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. I mean, that one's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, you know, but Deshaun Watson, and I, I think that Chris brought up a great point about, is an injury a bust? And I suppose, the, and you brought up Gurley as, as a, a discussion point there, is the injury foreseeable? And I, I think that with Deshaun Watson, the upside's there, but at the same time, the offensive line is so bad. And he had internal injuries last year from hits he was taking and then the team dialed back his usage and they became more of a running team but you know if Deshaun Watson just takes too many hits and wears out during the season none of us can say who could have seen it coming Aaron Rodgers has a little bust potential just because we can say he was sabotaging Mike McCarthy last year but if you watched Aaron Rodgers let's say you didn't know anything about Aaron Rodgers going into the season okay you just you just brand new to football and you watched him you'd say that guy's not really that great of a quarterback he makes some plays but you would watch other quarterbacks and say, these quarterbacks are better. He's, he's in the middle of the league, you know? So there's a chance that what we saw last year was erosion. Or if he and Matt LaFleur don't jive, and he doesn't want to be coached or otherwise he doesn't want to buy into the system, we could be back where we were when we can, you know, watching the game, watching the Packers offense is kind of painful because it, there's a sense of like mom and dad are fighting and we're watching, you know, stuff, the plates being thrown and it doesn't look pretty out there. So Aaron Rodgers is probably another one I would avoid at ADP. All right, Rayvon, I have a feeling that Aaron Rodgers is right in line with the type of guy that you would be looking to avoid. But uh, who is the, the bust or the, the bust, uh, plural, that you might be looking to stay away from? 
Yeah, I mean, Rodgers is definitely it. The efficiency hasn't been there in terms of the yard. It's just he's not throwing picks, which is fine. But Marcus Mariota had more yards per attempt than Aaron Rodgers last year. So that, that tells you all you need to know. Andrew Luck was, what, 29th in the league in yard per attempt. And now everyone's excited about Devin Funches and an injured second-round rookie uh, receiver that's been hamstrung on camp. So those two situations, I think they're just household names. People feel like, oh, hey, it, it's the offseason. It's, it's puff piece season. Everything's gravy. And then, you know, you get into the season and it, it's the Mahomes and the Watson and those guys that are really um, performing. So, yeah, uh, Rodgers, Luck, and uh, Drew Brees as well. I think that, listen, w- whether he's in his decline phase or he got hurt down the stretch or whatever, the bottom line is the team is not throwing as much as they once were. They're not even throwing at really a league average rate anymore. Drew Brees doesn't run. So there's no reason to take a qu- – and, and we know he's going to spike mostly at home. So why am I taking a spot starter anywhere in the top 12 when I can get, when I can get similar production much later? So those household names uh, are the guys I'm kind of staying away from. One more guy I want to mention, Cam Newton. Uh, when he's played a full season, uh, he's been a top six fantasy quarterback, uh, primarily because he has such immense rushing ability. But uh, there is the shoulder injury, so that is something of a concern. Uh, that said, he's really intriguing to me. Uh, in the second year in North Turner's offense, and North Turner, I think, uh, really expanded what we expected out of him last year. He was a pretty inventive play caller, and I love the weapons that he has. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is one of the best pass-catching backs in the league. DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, I think, are both primed to uh, explode this year. I think they even have some, some good supplementary receivers behind those guys in Chris Hogan and Torrey Smith. Uh, Greg Olson maybe can, uh, you know, have one final year of, you know, I don't know. I won't even want to say top, top end, tight end production, but maybe he can be a, a top 12 guy. What are your thoughts on what we might see out of Cam Newton? And is he worth the risk, Sigmund? There, well, there's not really any risk, right? When you're taking him at quarterback 10 or quarterback 11, and he has historically been a, a top five or six quarterback, I think you laid out a lot of great points as why we should be optimistic about him. It's been, as opposed to Andrew Luck's non-camp, you know, it's been a wonderfully uneventful camp for Newton coming back. And in addition to some of the other things you laid out, the offensive line is a lot more stabilized than it was a year or two ago. Curtis Samuel is one of the stories of training camp. If you're looking for a lot of different observers, both national and local beats saying, wow, Curtis Samuel, all the analogy I always use is it's like back to school time. And when we were in middle school, sometimes we'd come back and someone would have a growth spurt, like they hit puberty since the last time we saw them. And that's going to happen with some of these players, second year, third year players. Samuel sounds like is one of those guys. Olsen being back, he was hurt basically the first game last year. That can only help. Um, And I agree that North Turner deserves some praise here. So I I think that Newton is one of those, you know, it's almost too easy to take Cam Newton. And I don't see any risk at all in him. And it's just one of those cases where we can look over ADP and say, the hive mind's wrong. The hive mind just doesn't have, this player accurately valued. Raybon, you agree with that? You think uh, Newton is a guy uh, who doesn't have the bust potential that people might assume he does, given his ADP? Yeah, it's right there in line with with where you can start taking quarterbacks. And I agree with both of you guys. I think North Turner, I mean, everyone kind of expected him to kind of come in and run this Air Coryell vertical scheme. And, and then Newton kind of gets this bump shoulder. But he's like, he's doing all this these things with motions pre-snap. He's got three guys in, in Moore Samuel and, and, and McCaffrey that he can line up at running back or split out wide or in the slot. And he's just confusing the heck out of the defense. Cam goes on an 11-game streak of multi-touchdown passes. Probably would have continued if he showed just didn't give out over those last two games so I really like uh, Cam's upside in year two and I think yeah when you start getting down to double digit quarterbacks it's a guy like Cam Newton who has that rushing ability I don't I don't see any reason how it could be a bust I think a guy you worry about the guys who who don't run at all and kind of don't have the volume but but Cam has has that rushing ability and now it looks like he's actually kind of marrying that for the first time in a while with uh, some upside throwing the football as well. All right, let's transition to running back. And we have to start, uh, start with Todd Gurley. And Sig, yeah. I really want your thoughts on him. Because sure. you, you opened the episode uh, in part by saying, looking for that realistic upside with your picks. And you look at Todd Gurley, he does have that realistic upside given the goal line usage that he's had in the past two seasons, the offense that he's in, uh, his innate ability. 
But then on the other hand, there is a very perceivable downside with him too. So how are you approaching Todd Gurley? I'm usually not taking him. I, I mentioned Carryon Johnson and, and Devontae Freeman, and that's about the point in my draft where, and I haven't had to make the decision yet, where I would be weighing Todd Gurley on one side and those running backs on the other, who I think have just as high a ceiling as Gurley this year. We have almost nothing verifiable about Gurley, and that's what gives us pause, right? We don't like uncertainty when we're making, you know, we could start talking about Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon here too, and the idea of uncertainty and how it affects players' value and our willingness to take them. And we might be doing rankings in a vacuum and thinking about it, but then when you're on the clock, that's where intuition comes in and that gut feeling, which isn't mysterious or mystical. It's, a, it's your brain, your supercomputer, taking all the information and data and experience we have and reducing it down to kind of a yum or a yuck feeling. And what sticks with me that gives me that yuck feeling about Gurley is the Rams have not been straight with us about this from the beginning. We can read into their actions, you know, bringing back uh, Malcolm Brown, moving up to draft Daryl Henderson, putting Gurley on the veteran plan. But the other side, you can do the glass half full stuff and say everybody is reporting he looks like good old Todd Gurley in camp, and just as explosive, and he hit the top speed that he hit in the past. And I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is, A, what will the Rams do to preserve him as they expect to play well into the playoffs? And B, if it does happen, that he he aggravates the knee, whether it be in practice or in a game. How can we trust the Rams to be straight with us about the condition of his knee and the workload he's going to get? And then, of course, the last part of this is in the fantasy playoffs, the weeks that matter the most to us, those are the weeks that they would be most likely, especially if they're successful, to take the foot off the gas with him and ease him into the playoffs. The one positive thing I will point out here is the two new starters, Joseph Noteboom and Brian Allen, on the offensive line, which was another level of uncertainty. Uh, they've been doing well enough that Sean McVay's treating them like entrenched starters and basically not going to play them in the preseason. So that's a good sign for this offense continuity among the top you know, five, six, seven offenses in the league. Uh, I just can't trust them to be straight with us about Todd Gurley when things go wrong. If they don't go wrong all season, people will look very smart for taking him. Rayvon, what is the earliest uh, that you would consider taking Todd Gurley? Ooh, now, uh, probably the sometime in the third round. Um, you know, I've, I've been kind of steadily moving him down my draft board, um, you know, kind of looking at what the Rams are going to do. And I think the upside pick here, I mean, yeah, it's Henderson for obvious reasons. I mean, a lot of the call, a lot of the uh, ceiling is kind of taken out of the fact that he's already going in those middle rounds. But I, I think you got to take Malcolm Brown late because this is a guy that um, over half of his carries come in the fourth quarter. They're going to kind of use him in that clock killing role. This is a team that uh, I think Sean Corner has him uh, favored in 14 games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're going to be in that in those situations where Brown could get some work in addition to the fact that if Gurley gets hurt, they're not just making Henderson a 20-carry guy. They're going to use Brown or at least they, they'll, they're going to use him for a couple games maybe and see how it goes until you know they feel like they have to make another move, maybe like a C.J. Anderson last year, which happened, of course, when Brown was out. So I think if, they, if Brown is there, maybe they don't even sign him. So I really like taking Brown late a lot more than I like taking Gurley early. Yeah, so uh, Gurley for you, still in that bus category. Sigmund, before you talk about the running backs uh, that seem like potential bust, I, I want a little strategy here. How heavily yeah. do you invest in the running back position early in the draft in an attempt to make your team as bust-proof as possible? I don't think you need to take a running back in the first two rounds this year. The third round is rich with running backs who have top 10 upside. I mean, Devontae Freeman has proven top five upside, and he's in a role that sets him up for that. Of course, he has an injury history to weigh against that. Even in the fourth round, I think, uh, you, as long as you can still get someone like Chris Carson in the fourth round. If I go into the season with on Johnson and Chris Carson as my two running backs, I'm feeling fine. Otherwise, to make your team bust-proof, I suppose you can go back to the old-school running back-heavy draft plan, and you could go running back in the first four rounds and even have one that's sitting on your bench early in the season if your first three are all clicking. And then with the running back injury rate, and I think running backs are very environment-sensitive. So you know, David Johnson, again, comes up where if a team goes south, they'll take the running back's prospects with them sometimes. That's how to make your team bust proof but then you also take a lot of upside out of your weekly lineup because you're essentially 
not going to measure up at uh, you know to the Mahomes team at quarterback. You're not going to measure up to the teams that take the top three tight ends. Maybe you might find that one who crashes the party. Uh, and then wide receiver, you're probably not going to measure up at least in terms of number one wide receivers. Although I think there's a lot of players with number two wide receivers. So again, I want to say I'm getting ready to write my master plan article later this week, and I think this is the first year that I can remember where you can go with mix and match draft plans like a Chinese menu where you can really put together okay I want to do early quarterback and tight end I want to do early running back I want to do early wide receiver and they all work because there's a lot of players that have that arrow pointing up at every position all right Sigmund who are the running backs you are explicitly looking to stay away from yeah at least at their current 80 sure sure I'm not taking Le'Veon Bell I'm not going to take Le'Veon Bell in the first round I'm not going to take him ahead of uh Nick Chubb probably not going to take him ahead of Joe Mixon. So I'm, I'm, I'm not taking him. Uh, I just think that uh, there's just too many unknowns here with Adam Gase, with the Jets offensive line, with how much of the situation. So I think I'm, I'm skipping ahead here in some ways to wide receiver, but how much of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell's value was created by their surroundings? How much of Bell's value, whenever you see D'Angelo Williams and James Conner, Whoever was in for the Steelers was scoring like an elite fantasy running back. Is it possible that it was the situation that was creating the value and not the player? I don't want to find that out spending a high pick on Bell. Um, you know, Melvin Gordon is I, – I get it. Like if you're in a high-stakes contest where you're looking for that team that has to stand out in a group of 1,000, not just a group of 12, Melvin Gordon makes sense. Fade the hold out. And, uh, you know, if he shows up, if he signs the contract or plays under the fifth-year option, then you're golden if you get him in the third round. But I, I take it as a credible uh, threat that he's going to hold out and play as few games as possible that he can. Um, I would, it was Derrick Henry at this point. I mean, look, one really sound – I don't necessarily like to play the percentages in my drafts, but I think one really sound strategy might be to just avoid players who've already broken the injury seal. You know, if we already know they're hurt in August – they're not going to get healthier as the season goes on. So Derrick Henry, they originally put a timetable of two weeks. What are we at now, guys? Like three weeks. He's, what, sand pit working on the side? I mean, there's already some risk about Tennessee and game script and things like that. I just think there are a lot more attractive running backs around the time Derrick Henry goes off the board. All right, Rayvon, what do you think of those players? And then who are some of the guys you were looking to avoid? Listen, Bell, I get it. It's the unknown, and I will say that I don't really draft running backs at that point in the draft. So from that point, I get it. Uh, I'm usually taking wide receiver, wide receiver from that middle to to the end of that first round and coming back with with another pass catcher. But I think Bell, um, just because of the volume and because there's only so many players in this league that uh, a coach would be willing to give uh, the kind of volume that we know Bell can, can, can get, too. And I think Bell is still one of those guys. Adam Gase didn't want to pay him, but they went out and paid him. And so I think Gase is going to use him. I, I'm not worried about him. I don't think he'll have as much touchdown upside, obviously, as he did in Pittsburgh. But he was actually never a, a – there was a lot of years in Pittsburgh where he wasn't kind of a top-end touchdown scorer. So I, I'm not worried about Bell um, as much. Henry, I think you have to wait a couple more weeks. I think when, when guys are, are questionable in the week leading up to the season and they're still hurt, that's when I really worry – a lot of times nowadays with these timetables, teams are just kind of spitballing. And you don't really know, you know, if the initial timetable just threw you off or, or what's really going on if they, got a, if they suffered a setback. So I'm not worried about, about him yet. But I think that, you know, Gurley I'm avoiding right now. Darius Geis is a guy that I'm avoiding uh, right now. Rashad Penny is a guy that I think still goes too high um, for the simple fact that, the Seahawks gave Carson 20 and a half touches per game from week three on. Rashad Penny did not play in the playoffs. Rashad Penny did not get a target on third or fourth down. They're talking about Carson as catching more passes without really mentioning Penny. Uh, they're talking about implementing a third down back, either ProSize or McKissick, without mention of Penny. There are just too many scenarios in which Penny gets essentially the lowest leverage carries, um, unless – Chris Carson goes down and I just, I'm not going to make a habit of just betting on a running back going down. I mean, they're going to, you know, on average, they're going to miss two to three games and maybe you get two to three games of, of, of upside from Penny, but uh, I, I don't really like where he's going. And then yeah, Gordon, I'm not touching. And uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I usually still take at number four, not in the top three, but uh, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned with the whole situation just because I think that they could behave a little differently when it comes to, to how they proceed. If he's, not back on the field 
in the past you had Alfred Morris kind of come in there and, and just take the whole workload. But, um, you know, they have Kellen Moore kind of calling the shots now. They have Pollard. So they might go with a committee backfield. I just don't know that I can kind of recoup uh, the lost value, you know, the way I could before by just kind of taking Morris. So I'm kind of getting a little bit worried about taking Zeke that high at this point. And then Montgomery, I still think, is going a little bit high. But but Geis is the one guy. I mean, I am – I'm just zero, complete zero Darius Geis. Three, I don't like a three-way committee for one of the worst teams in the league that's, that is still talking about starting Colt McCoy at quarterback. Like, just – I don't want none of it. Sick. Any thoughts on Ezekiel Elliott and yeah. then, uh, also Darius Geis? Yeah. Elliott is a little bit tougher – to then Gordon because look when Gordon was going in the mid late first round I was already hesitant because two out of the last three years he wasn't there for us in the fantasy playoffs uh, whereas Elliot if Elliot was in camp right now I, I'd be advocating taking him number one I think he's set up for uh, his best season yet the Cowboys offense is set up for their best season yet um, you know, a li- little bit concerned about this potential for Mari Cooper watch out for Michael Gallup uh, but the heel issue that is, is lingering, you know, again, like, like Chris is saying, a lot of these things, like we just need to stay tuned, monitor for more information and the information will tell us how to act. So Elliot at number four, I think he nailed it. That's where the break point is. I don't expect Elliot's holdout to be well into the season. All of the reporting has been positive. So what's really funny about this guys is we can look at what comes out in these situations and we can do forensics like detective work and say who put that out there and why are they putting it out there and there was some stuff from the cowboys through like clarence hill and some of the other longtime beat writers i want to say that somebody maybe stephen jones even looked directly at the camera and said like basically call us you know they're saying like we've made offers and we just want the players to come back to the table so i i've heard josina anderson and some of the other people reporting on this calvin watkins there's generally a positive tone that something is going to get done uh, where there isn't that positive tone around Melvin Gordon. So I'm willing to take that chance on Ezekiel Elliott in the fourth spot. And if I see him after that, I'll definitely take him. And then I do think that to what Chris was saying about um, the backup, some of this could be saber rattling to get Ezekiel Elliott back into camp. Um, they are so positive about Tony Pollard. Uh, and I, this is a case where it might just be that Daryl Henderson was so good and that's what kept Tony Pollard off the field, but he also is an NFL caliper back. So I like taking Tony Pollard. If you have any concerns or doubts about Ezekiel Elliott showing up this year or for the first few games. Pollard, like he could kind of put up Henderson value, but also if you're, you kind of mentioned, if you're, if you're taking Zeke, maybe take Pollard, Dak Prescott. I mean, if Zeke misses time, you kind of, you said the Cowboys offense, you know, set up uh, to, to have probably the most success they, they would have yet. And I think that's true. Kellen Moore, I think some of the additions they made, as well so I think if Zeke is out I think that Prescott could really really explode because he's going to be asked to 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 do a little more through the air and he's finally got the the kind of uh supporting cast that if the running back is not there you know gobbling up all these yards you know he'll have Pollard on the field more that's a guy who probably do even more than Elliott um you know catching the football so um I think there's a lot of upside if or like if you're in best ball you want to balance those shares with, with taking Prescott as well one more running back we have to talk about Damian Williams. Uh, there's been a lot of debate on Twitter about what to do with him. Uh, he's missed a significant amount of training camp with a hamstring injury. There were already kind of concerns about his lack of production to this point in the NFL, minus the uh, the four-game sample that he had last year with the Chiefs when he was the lead back. Sigmund, what are you doing with Damian Williams? It feels like when we go back in our minds to players like this like Alex Collins comes to mind right away last year and I was caught holding the bag on Alex Collins because I thought we'd seen enough in a limited sample size the situation was good enough especially with Lamar Jackson entering the scene that I'm satisfied a competent back in the he'd proven he was in this situation can continue to produce the kind of numbers he was producing last year and that's where we're at with Damian Williams. I think we just haven't seen a track record to make us feel like we know he'll hold up for 16 games. And then we're, we're reading the tea leaves through, you know, Eric Biennemi says he's a starter. Andy Reid says we're going to do something like a committee. Uh, we see Damian Williams getting the first rep in camp now that he's back, but then maybe the third rep goes to Hyde or the fifth rep goes to Daryl Williams. Or today it was Darwin Thompson mixing in at the goal line. And can we really say Darwin Thompson looked magnificent? And I know he's running with the twos and the threes and, and on special teams. So they're treating him like a rookie who has to climb, climb and claw his way up. But would it shock us 
if we see Darwin Thompson making the same or more out of the touches that Damian Williams get, those touches out in space in the passing game, because that's what's so enticing about this. This is offense is probably going to be the most productive offense in the league again. So the running back for Kansas City is going to be a running back one if they give someone 15 to 18 touches and give them most of the goal line opportunities. I don't trust that we can do that. And then the other side of the equation here is, who are you weighing Damian Williams against? Again, carry on Johnson, Devontae Freeman, or maybe you like Leonard Fournette, or, or maybe you like, well, maybe not Marlon Mack as much now, Aaron Jones. I mean, there are other running backs in the third round that you can be as excited about as Damian Williams, where their coach isn't coming out and saying, we're going to use a committee and the practice reports aren't giving us something to decipher when we try to figure out who the number one back from the beginning to the end of the game will be. All right, Raymond, are you chasing the league winning upside of Damian Williams or do you think he's a bust? I'm not chasing it, nor do I think he's a bust. I think his value is pretty fair and Sig hit on it. The, the Kansas city offense. I, I just don't think you can go wrong. I think the only thing that will happen is there will, there will be injuries to who we don't know, but somebody will underperform. But like, I would not tell anyone, like I'm at the point where if you want to go draft Mahomes, do it. Like, like I, I don't, I don't think it's a great value, but I think I want shares at this point because I think it's right. You know, he could absolutely outperform uh, what he did last year. And Damon Williams, another guy, I mean, Kareem Hunt, when he was a starter, uh, you know, he averaged 16.8 carries, 3.6 targets. Williams, uh, in, in that short five-game sample, when he was a starter, 13.8 carries, uh, but 5.6 targets. Williams is the shotgun back. Carlos Hyde is not good in the shotgun. However, their, their offensive line kind of had some shakeup. They're going to a little bit more kind of power guys along that line. So it makes sense to kind of get a guy like Hyde in there, get a guy that can, uh, that, that can run when you want to be under center. But when the team is in shotgun, which is where they're most dangerous and where they're going to play a lot of their snaps, it's still going to be Williams. Carlos Hyde, number 114 of 115 in terms of yards per target among running backs since he came into the league. So I, I don't buy Andy. Like, the committee will just be, hey, when it's like, you know, 28 to 6 in the fourth quarter or something like that, yeah, sure, we'll give Hyde like eight straight carries. But I think Williams is going to be in anytime it's close. Um, so I'm not worried about taking him or anyone else on the Kansas City Chiefs, including Demarcus Robinson, uh, McCole Hardman, uh, Darwin Thompson. Uh, I mean, if – anyone all right let's talk about wide receivers and so you already opened the door on Antonio Brown what are you doing with him yeah just don't take him I mean maybe it could all work out but uh, there's enough reasons to be worried and the biggest one I think is just a, a western Pennsylvania born and bred Steelers honk and there's just no doubt that Ben Roethlisberger gave him chances to make plays on balls that a lot of quarterbacks in the league won't and Derek Carr's at the other end of the spectrum when it comes to quarterbacking, where he's safe, he's not going to take chances. He's not going to throw the ball into small windows. He's not going to throw balls to a covered receiver. I don't see how Antonio Brown can keep up the level of, and I'm not, and obviously if he's even 80% of what he was in Pittsburgh, he'll, he'll be a hit. Now, but is he falling to the third round, maybe even farther in some drafts, but the volatility on top of this quarterback to wide receiver combination, uh, I just, I, it can't be good for Antonio Brown. So I'm going the other direction. Raybon, what do you think here? I'm taking him. If he's healthy, if he's healthy, I'm taking him. Because I, I think the whole problem with Antonio Brown last year, and, and you know, obviously uh, somebody, one of, maybe the host, I think, um, you know, might be famous for kind of bringing this up. But, you know, he was inefficient last year. Uh, and I think a big problem was Ben Roethlisberger. I think a big problem was kind of how um, that, that scheme was, was laid out where, where Antonio Brown – was near the top of the league in uncatchable passes. And Derek Carr, he, yeah, you're right, Sig, he did, he's not really throwing uncatchable passes, but Antonio Brown is also not being covered. So I think, if anything, maybe Antonio Brown, maybe, you know, the yards per catch go down. But, uh, you know, every, if you look at Oakland last year, it was a lot of stuff underneath. I think the guy you worry about a little bit more is, is a guy like Tyrell Williams, because I think he's a guy that probably runs some clear routes, running a little more intermediate stuff. Um, Brown is a guy that, uh, you know, if like one or two games go by and Brown doesn't have 10, 11 catches, uh, you could, you know, there, he's going to make sure that, you know, things get adjusted and where he, if he's running more underneath routes and I think the, the, the receptions would just go up. So I don't think that he's a risk in, in the sense of car. And we all know how much I hate cars as a quarterback. I just don't think he's a very good quarterback. I, I, I don't respect 
a guy who, you know, just won't take chances with the football. I just, that's not how you win um, in the NFL. So uh, not a fan of Carr, but think he, he'll be fine for AB. It's just a matter of, is this foot thing no big deal? Is it somewhat of a big deal? Is he going to like be kind of running a little funny on the foot and mess something else up? Like, I just want to see him healthy or know that he's healthy at some point before I'm drafting. And if that is the case, I am taking him because it's still uh, the best receiver of our generation. It's not like a washed up Jordy Nelson situation, in my opinion. All right, Rayvon, it comes as no surprise that I'm going to push back just a little bit on this. <laughs> really? I think he's going to get a lot of targets. And let's assume that the, the foot thing takes care of itself and that he is healthy entering week one. I think the plan is to give him a lot of targets. So even if they aren't the, the high leverage, high value targets that he was getting previously with Roethlisberger, I think he could still turn those into fantasy points. But that's the, the median there is still that huge downside uh, that comes from the injury risk with the feet, the fact that he's aging, he could be slowing, the fact that he hasn't been able to actually work with Derek Carr to develop that chemistry, which is a hugely important part of that wide receiver quarterback connection. And then there's this. There is a real chance. Like, I think, I mean, I don't want to put a percentage on this, but I should just parlay this. I think a very real chance that the Raiders start out like 0-7, right? They could lose in week one to Denver. They're going to be underdogs to Kansas City in week two, underdogs to Minnesota, Indianapolis, Chicago in weeks three through five. They could head into the bye 0-5. And then in weeks seven and eight, they could lose to Green Bay and Houston. What happens with Antonio Brown if he is on an 0-7 team? Does he just leave? Does he just retire in the middle of the season? Like, does he just start tearing up, like literally tearing up the locker room? Like, we have no idea of knowing how someone like that would react if he's on the worst team in the league. Like, there's, I think there's huge downside risk that people aren't taking into account, given that he could be on a team that is absolutely horrible. Hey, that's fair. But if he, if the Raiders start 0-7... I mean, Antonio Brown is going to be on the most ridiculous receiving pace of all time because all that, all that dinking and dunking against prevent defenses, he's going to catch like 12 balls a game. So I think he would just play because he'd want to set that record um, if, he went, if they went 0-7. But I, I get it. It's, it. I think a lot of it is media-driven. Like a lot of it is, oh, diva wide receiver, this, that. You know, he's, the, he's one of the biggest – you type Antonio Brown, you know, you put Antonio Brown on your – in your headline and you're getting quick. So I think a lot of this is kind of going, getting overblown, uh, except the health thing. Like if that, cause even the, even the helmet thing, it's like, Oh, I'm not going to play. And then they rule against him. And then he's like, Oh, I'm back. Like it's, it's just, he's a drama queen and fine. But if he's healthy, this is a guy who all that decline, all that stuff we're talking about led the league 15 touchdowns, just like easy, easy money, just 15 touchdowns, nothing. It's nothing like there's too much upside for me to, and, and he's too good. And, like, there's too many easy, just, like, easy high percentage looks that, that he's going to get in this offense that he wasn't really getting in Pittsburgh um, with, with Roethlisberger last season even um, that's for me to fade him. But, but I do see the, the, the point. We don't know. We haven't seen him on a, on a truly bad team in his career. So I, I, do, I do understand where you're coming from, but I, he's just too good for me. All right, Sig. Let's get the guys, the wide receivers, yep. who are potential bust for you. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you know, we hit one of the biggest ones. Um, Adam Thielen and, and Stephon Diggs are potential busts, if only because the, the offense is going to be a lot more run-heavy, the, the Kubiak, Dennison, Stefanski offense. And we just saw in a small, granted, small sample size, that Thielen was even struggling to maintain a pulse for fantasy during that time. So I think that's scary. Uh, th that's a, a scary proposition when we're looking at some of those running backs that we've been talking about in the same area. Uh, you know, a player like Robbie Anderson, I think it was Mike Clay that pointed out the number one uh, corners he's going to be facing. And uh, you know, we saw Sammy Watkins have a year like this where the head coach says, hey, if we can just cancel out your number one corner with my number one receiver, and then we're going to take high percentage passes to Jamison Crowder and Quincy Inunua and, and Lena Le'Veon Bell and so on, then we'll take that. And we think we can win in that kind of uh, square off. So where I like what Robbie Anderson did down the stretch with Sam Darnold. I also worried about that. And, and AJ Green, look, even if you're AJ Green's there in the fifth round, how can you pass on AJ Green? 
twice now we've seen him have these injuries where he was scheduled to maybe come back and then they finally ended up shutting him down. There's a lot of shadowy stuff about the nature of the surgery he had. Yes, he should be back in week three or week four, but what if it's week three, week four, and he hasn't returned to practice yet? We don't know when he's going to come back. It's Cincinnati. I don't trust their medical staff. I don't trust them to handle things in the best way. Uh, I applaud Green for getting the second opinion. I think he pushed to have surgery. And I think he's thinking about next year and beyond when he leaves this team and probably is a New England Patriot. Hot take there. Yeah. Uh, Raybon, who are you looking to fade at the wide receiver position? Damn, I mean, Sig took a lot of my guys. I Anderson was the wide receiver uh, 65 for, for the first 10 weeks of the season. I mean, it, he every year it's just all these guys get hurt. And, and now, as Sig mentioned, they have more guys. Uh, and, by the way, uh, no team ran fewer plays over the last three years than the Miami Dolphins. Why is that relevant? Because Adam Gates was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Now he is the head coach of the New York Jets. This could just be a, a one-man show. And I, like, there's a couple of situations where I think you start looking at correlations and arbitrage opportunities and how to take advantage of these situations, uh, especially in, you know, in PPR leagues. Because I think – I would say at this point, there's, uh, it's almost better than 50-50 that Jamison Crowder outscores Robbie Anderson. Uh, I think it's almost better than 50-50 that Adam Humphreys outscores Corey Davis. And, like, these are guys that you can get rounds and rounds after the other player that I mentioned who uh, will line up on the line of scrimmage, um, will line up at that X a lot of the time where, where they, they can't even go in motion and have to kind of, uh, you know, be at the mercy of what, uh, you know, what the, 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 the coverage dictates. So, uh, yeah, I think Anderson is a guy you want to avoid. I think A.J. Green, here's my thing with, with guys who are going to miss time at the beginning of the season. You can't take the fantasy playoffs for granted. So if, they, if your fantasy playoffs start in week 13 or week 14, um, and, and you also know that you know, no, you're not playing in week 17, you, know, you can't just say, hey, oh, eight games at A.J. Green or whatever. Like, it's, it's less than that if you're expecting them to miss like six or whatever because you, you can't take the playoffs for granted. And, taking, and having a, wasting a spot on a guy like that at, at that level uh, in the draft where you still have a lot of guys that could give you a full season of upside um, that's only hurting your chances to make the playoffs. So I tend to stay away from guys um, that are going to miss time at guaranteed time at the beginning of the year for, for that exact reason. I think it's, it, it's, it's undervalued kind of the effect it has on your chances to even um, realize that value later on in the season. So yeah, green. Um, and then besides that, I mean, I think Thielen and Diggs, yeah, it's concerning. I think on a uh, the, the offense as a whole, but I think at the end of the day, the Vikings are going to be a, still a concentrated pass offense. I'm not as worried about those guys. I think Mike Williams, Tyler Lockett, a couple of guys that the, the, the target increases might not be as high as we think. I mean, Mike Williams ran 23.3 routes per game last season. However, the Chargers uh, only had a uh, pass about 32 times a game. They have a really good defense, so that's the potential is there for them not to, to be a high-volume pass team again, which means the real ceiling for Williams now is not that high. He got targeted about 20 21% of the time per route over the last eight weeks of the season, if you look, include the postseason. And even if you kind of assume he'll be in on every pass route and, and, and get targeted at that rate versus his full-season rate, he still kind of tops out at about six and a half targets per game. Uh, and then now you have to worry about, uh, worry about the touchdown regression. Lockett, another guy, I think his targets will probably go up, but the Seahawks, Russell Wilson is just, you know, he's just so good that there's all these different things that could happen to where if there's some touchdown variance with Lockett, like they might not need to pass a lot because they might still be good. But if just the touchdowns go away from Lockett a little bit, but they're still efficient passing the ball otherwise, um, and they kind of spread it around, he might not have kind of the upside that, that we're looking for. So um, I, I worry a little bit about him, but mostly, yeah, it's, it's Robbie, it's, it's AJ. Um, those are my two big uh, avoids. All right, let's close it out at the tight end position. Sigmund, who are the guys you are looking to stay away from? Eric Ebron is low-hanging fruit here, um, especially with the luck issues. I mean, the, the one theory to take Eric Ebron was that red zone chemistry is not going to go away, and he'll still be one of the number one targets in the red zone. Now, you know, that's a, a little shadowy. Um, Zach Ertz, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be an unmitigated bust, but his target spike just seems unsustainable from last year, especially with the additions they have. I actually like Dallas Goddard a lot. Uh, not truly a bust, but someone like David Njoku – could be a player that continues to frustrate us. And what I'm watching for is the 
Brown's offensive line, Greg Robinson and Austin Corbett or whatever they decide to do on that side of the line. Um, if it's not firmed up, then Njoku might be kept into block a lot more than we would want if we're taking him in our fantasy drafts. All right, Raybon, how about you? I, I don't think Ertz will, will be a bust at all. I think um, the, the Eagles, if anything, uh, and it's been kind of said, their beat riders, we're going to run more two tight end sets. So I, I don't think there's actually much risk there with Ertz um, busting at all. Uh, Goddard just has a little bit more upside, I think. I don't think, the, I think if anything, it's just Aguilar is going to be, be the, the guy that's hurt, obviously. But, but I don't, I'm not worried about Ertz uh, or Najoku because I think Todd Munkin is kind of going underlooked here. Like, look at what the Bucks were able to do last year under under Munkin with, you know, four receivers in the top 36. Uh, O.J. Howard, uh, you know, when he was healthy, was, you know, week in, week out, you know, top top eight value, essentially. So I, I think Njoku could actually be this year's Eric Ebron in the sense that a lot of other guys to worry about and cover, really good quarterback, good scheme, could easily score 10 touchdowns. So, so I like him, but I, I think the bust – for me are just the guys that potentially the biggest injury risks, like, you know, Hunter Henry, how healthy can he stay, uh, stay for the whole season? And, and maybe uh, Evan Ingram, although I, I think the upside kind of canceled that out, but there's no real true, I would say in the top 10 tight ends, true bust candidates. Maybe you could say uh, Jared Cook uh, with the Saints, if, if things go wrong with Breeze and just given the fact that they're a lower volume team that kind of had some trouble incorporating uh, these free agent tight ends in the past Jimmy Graham left so I think maybe you look at Cook a little bit but I, I still think he'll be fine I think they, they understand how to use him there they want to use him just like Oakland so yeah the, the, the bust kind of starts to me with Mark Andrews could be a bust if he continues to play half the snaps and the Ravens continue to pass 24 times a game with Lamar Jackson I mean there's just only so much upside that you can have there so I think he's a guy where you're probably looking at and saying okay, that could end really poorly. But outside of – in the top ten, I, I really like – I think Ebron is obviously the only guy that – the numbers could just look totally different because uh, it was night and day with, with Doyle in the lineup. All right, Sigmund, uh, out of all the content at Football Guys, what mm. should people be sure to check out? Well, look, just get the mobile draft dominator. It's free this year. It's that draft assistant that looks over your shoulder. It adjusts as your draft goes on. Um, it's scalable to any kinds of scoring systems and, and formats. And uh, you know, we're real proud of that and real proud to, to hopefully spread it out to even more people. I'm doing my master draft plan. It's going to come out this week. You know, we've got great content by so many people. I can't even name them all. That's what we tend to do at Football Guys is we're going to over-deliver and overwhelm you uh, with content. And if you're obsessed with fantasy football, then you belong with us. All right, everyone, be sure to follow Sig on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. You can follow Chris and me in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon and Matt F. The Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. That is going to do it for the Action Network podcast. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode. 